In ranching, the local sale barn is a staple to our industry, and today we visit the largest stalker and feeder cattle market in the country. It's none other than the Oklahoma National Stockyards. And we're very proud of the buying power that's in those seats week in and week out, and, and that we can provide this service to hardworking farmers and ranchers, not only in Oklahoma, but in a, in a very large trade area that stretches all the way down to Florida. Kelly Payne, president of the Oklahoma National Stockyards, is my guest as we talk about this historic entity established in 1910. And she'll explain how it is unique to all other sale barns in the country in how it functions, plus her tips for ranchers when it comes to marketing your cattle. Some of the things in a typical year uh, that we have seen put more dollars in a producer's pocket is find out what that is and more about the oklahoma national stockyards on this episode of the working ranch radio show Well, I'll tell you, the sound of an auctioneer, if that doesn't bring you to attention, I don't know what will. Hello, I'm Justin Mills with the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thanks for joining us. want to give credit there. That was John Corey out of Colorado that was doing that there to get us started here on our show today. And I only do that because we're going to be talking sale barn today, more specifically, the Oklahoma National Stockyards. As Kelly Payne, president of that entity, joins us today to talk about what they have going on down there. And I think if you're like me, you're going to find out something that you didn't know because that was the way it was for me. How they function as the stockyards, I did not know that. It is different than a lot of the different sale barns across the country. So tune in today to find out how that is. Plus, she's going to share with us some tips from the side of a sale barn and some things that she believes would be helpful to us as ranchers out there when we start the process of marketing our cattle. So I want to thank Kelly Payne. She will be our guest today, president of the Oklahoma National Stockyards. Also, towards the end of our program, as we do in each and every episode, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us as we take a look at our long-term weather. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, Hurricane Ian, boy, wasn't that a doozy down in the southeastern part of the country. Man, oh man. And uh, we're going to be getting an idea of when he predicts the next cold spell or the big cold spell to come. Not that I'm itching for cold weather. I'm not. Don't get me wrong here. I'm enjoying the more mild temperatures that we've had here in Wyoming this uh, for this fall. But nevertheless, it's going to come at some point. He's going to give us a heads up when he thinks that may happen. So join us uh, towards the end of our program here today. Right now, a thank you to our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Myozyme, it's time for weaning. Yes, it's that time of the year. So for protection and recovery, think Vita Charge by Biozyme. For more information, visit vitafirm.com forward slash Vita dash charge. And Zoetis, visit inheritprogress.com to request a call with a rep and ask about free TSUs to get you started. Speaking of Zoetis, you know, it's the little things that could derail progress with your cattle, but your herd can be covered. Visit getlessparasites.com for solutions from Zoetis. And the American Simmental Association, from maternal traits to terminal traits, the genetic merit of Simmental Genetics has provided increased profitability right back to you, the rancher. Sim Genetics, profit through 
science. Find out more at Simmental.org. And Zenpro Avela 4. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their fullest potential with Zenpro Avela 4. Right now, let's check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne. He's the publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. We are busy putting the final touches on our November-December issue of Working Ranch Magazine. It should be in mailboxes here in about three weeks. Excited about the content here. Got a great story by our senior correspondent, Burt Rutherford. Goodbye, livestock. Hello, bison. And this is what's happening up in Montana. And it's still happening. The Bureau of Land Management's decision to displace cattle in favor of bison raises some serious concerns. Check it out. Uh, we have another great article that was um, submitted to us by uh, an attorney. Audit, got it. If you're making a profit on cows and before the IRS starts circling the ranch, consider this advice. Read up on this, folks. This is a good article. Uh, we've got a few other great articles here. Uh, Balancing Winter's Effect uh, on Metabolism and Body Condition Score by Gilda Bryant. She's been writing for us forever. Um, and Ranch Performance Horse Story on Happy Horses. Focus on Winter Equine Nutrition by Jade Courage. She always digs down really, really deep and finds out all the little minute that we need to know to keep our horses happy over the winter. Uh, State by State, Louisiana Cattlemen's Association by Casey Atkinson. We just love checking in with the local state cattle associations. We've been doing it for probably five or six years now. We feature a state every, or just, just about every issue. This one's Louisiana. They're doing some great things down there. Check it out. The new November, December issue in your mailbox. Three weeks from now, Justin, back to you. All right. Thanks, Captain. And yes, we are all looking forward to the next issue of Working Ranch Magazine. You know, he talked about an article that Burt Rutherford has written and submitted in there to the next issue on the issue up in Montana regarding the BLM issuing um, grazing permits to bison instead of uh, uh, ranchers, cattle ranchers. And so uh, I want to invite you to go back and listen to Working Ranch Radio Show episode 81. We had a an interview with Jay Bodner, who is the Montana Stock Growers Association and Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council, on that topic. And I'm anxious to also read Bert Rutherford's article on that as well because he does a great job of, of getting into the nitty-gritty of these subjects as well. And so between the two, boy, I tell you what, you should be extremely educated on that and, and really give you a heads up of what's going on and how we need to be proactive in dealing with some of these kind of issues that we could be maybe a ways from your border of your ranch, but uh, please don't just cover, put your head in the sand on this kind of an issue. So uh, be be sure to take a look at that. As the captain said, just one of many articles coming out in the November issue of Working Ranch Magazine. Now, speaking of Working Ranch Magazine, do you have your subscription? Well, if you don't, you can go to workingranchmag.com and you can get your subscription started today on their new redesigned website. Also, if you don't follow us or like us or however that works on social media, be sure to check us out on Facebook or on Instagram as well. And their posts that go out 
there that remind you of different things or just some good information that comes out through our social media as well. So check us out on Facebook and Instagram for Working Ranch Magazine. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to get into our featured interview as Kelly Payne steps to the microphone. She is president of the Oklahoma National Stockyards, and we're going to visit about what they have going on down there, how that business works, why it's different than other sale barns across the country, plus more when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. How do you decide which heifers to select or sell? Visual inspection alone leaves a lot to chance. Back your hunch with Inherit Select from Zoetis. It's a genetic test designed for commercial replacement heifers. You gain valuable predictions, including cow fertility, size and soundness, feed efficiency, growth and carcass merit, as well as easy-to-use economic indexes. This improves your selection, breeding, and marketing decisions. Request a call from InheritProgress.com and ask about free TSUs to get you started. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, as we head now into our featured interview. And uh, we're joined now by Kelly Payne. She is the president of the Oklahoma National Stockyards. And Kelly, thanks for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Absolutely. Thank you, Justin. I hope you've got beautiful weather today. Yeah. Well, so far, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to say this. I know we were talking before we went on air as you were looking at the forecast and said you didn't have any rain in sight. Well, we we do maybe have some rain tonight, so I'm not going to try to rub that in because especially I know for you folks down in your part of the country, rain has been few and far between this year. So, so uh, we are having some beautiful fall weather and it was nice and cool and crisp here this morning up here in the northeast part of, the, uh, of Wyoming. Uh, uh, Kelly, you know, when I, I, I was thinking of a show to do and, and I thought, you know, this is the time of the year where a lot of us more frequent the sale barns. And I thought, well, what better than to find the world's largest stalker and feeder cattle market in the country, which is the Oklahoma National Stockyards. And so before we can get into some of the topics that we want to talk about here today, let's give us a history of, of that stockyards, because my word, it's got to be, I mean, the, the, the history of that particular entity right there is so much of it of our cattle industry is rooted right there yes and thank you for the opportunity to visit with you all this morning about uh, about the stockyards and some of the things that are going on here in our region so we are in our 112th year which is pretty impressive uh we for a young state like oklahoma we Mm -hmm. oklahoma was founded in 1907 and the stockyards was the first major industry there in oklahoma city about 1910 was whenever we were founded, and of course it took a couple of years to get that done. And we were formed, if you think back, uh, you know, we've heard about Chicago and Omaha, mm-hmm. Kansas City, those larger original terminal markets. Uh, Fort Worth was one. Uh, that's, what we, that's what we were, uh, where the cattle were brought in by train and, uh, or even by trail. And uh, it's pretty, pretty cool to think about the fact that after all these years and a lot of those other barns are, are now gone. And some, in some of those cities, you never even knew there was a stockyards there, mm-hmm. but we are still a very viable market, a huge economic engine for Oklahoma city and, uh, and our region. And it's, it's pretty cool to be a, a part of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, she's not real pretty, uh, but, <laughs> but she's still functional and we're very proud of the buying power that's in those seats week in and week out and, and that we can provide this service to, 
hardworking farmers and ranchers, not only in Oklahoma, but in a, in a very large trade area that stretches all the way down to Florida. So mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. It's, it's a big old monster, but, uh, we're, we're, we're pleased to still be in operation after all these years. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was interesting when we were talking before we started uh, our interview here today, uh, the structure of the of the stockyards. And for a lot of folks across the country, they think, well, it's either a family that it's that owns the stockyards or it's a collaboration of a couple uh, entities that own it. Let's talk about the structure and the setup, because you said you the Oklahoma National Stockyards is the last of that old style setup commission yards and so briefly tell about how that is set up because that's kind of you i don't think everybody understands that 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 you guys are set up a little bit different than most stockyards across the country certainly and that was one of the things with those terminal markets you had individual what they called commission companies or commission firms and so today to explain it to folks it's more we have nine commission companies uh, there's been as many as 18 and 20 there, you know, in the past. Um, but there's nine commission companies that make up what we call the exchange. And then there's the yard company. So <clears throat> we run the facility and then those nine companies are responsible for marketing the cattle for the producers. Uh, but those companies uh, were set up. You know, as it's, it would be difficult with the volume of cattle that we run to be a single a single owner barn or family ran barn. Um because you want to be able to provide that customer service. So those nine companies are kind of like nine little sale barns under one roof. And you choose a commission company, uh, which that, that gentleman or, or lady will, uh, that company will, they'll rep your, they'll sort your cattle. And then they take turns in the ring selling their customers cattle. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's worked remarkably well for us since the early sixties. And uh, if it's working, if, if it ain't broke, we're not going <laughs> to fix it. So yeah. it's, it's a little bit different, but uh, but they're able to offer that customer service like your local auction would. Huh? Yeah that that is really unique because I mean I of course growing up here in in more of the the, the Northern Rockies area region I mean we just never uh, maybe some of the early facilities were were established that way but that is that's really unique to hear you explain it like that because that uh, I know for a lot of us we're probably thinking boy that sounds confusing but that's just the way you guys have been for years. We had, and Denver was also set up okay. that way. I, I always think more of our north and kind of to the east, uh, but, you know, Denver, that Denver Yards uh, operated uh, in a similar fashion. And it, it's neat to go back and see the photos of all the different signs, you know, on the yards of the company, you know, National. Um, I'm trying to think of some of these other Western. Of course, yeah. I mean, we have some of those companies here. Uh, but it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty cool uh, yeah. that we're still operating that way and, and very, very grateful for the hard work that those companies do. You bet. Well, uh, let's get into some of the specifics of the sale. You talked about some of the areas that you represent. And I think one of the things that's probably a little bit unique to where you all sit is the different types of cattle. You probably you probably definitely have more types of cattle go through your yards than some of the other facilities in the country just because uh, uh, just because of your proximity to the southern climate to the northern climate. Absolutely. I, in fact, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. Uh, one of my uh, friends, gosh, 45 or 50 years, he said whenever he first started buying cattle at Oklahoma City, he went and sought some wisdom from a, from a seasoned buyer. And he said, what, what, what do you think about buying up here? You know, I kind of want to cut my teeth on this. And he said, you never know when that door opens what's going to come through it. 
uh, and a lot of that is because of the, the trade area is so large. Uh, you'll see quite a bit of eared cattle. Uh, it's not uncommon as, as producers are, are uh, working harder to kind of hone in genetics to see some, you'll see some nice front end uh, Angus calves mm-hmm. with a, a little more northern genetics about them. Uh, but it certainly is a, a broad, uh, it's, it's as wide as it is long, I guess, uh, of <laughs> yeah. the kind of cattle that you'll see through there. It's, then you, you'll get some anomalies from time to time of, uh, you know, you may go across that catwalk and there'll be two or three loads of, of sure enough bramers. You yeah. know, it's, um, it's, it's really interesting. But the beauty of that is uh, because the trade area it reaches so far and our buyers are very aware of that, um, that there's an order for anything that comes through that door with somebody that's sitting in those seats. So mm-hmm. it, it's just kind of been, we've just always kind of done it that way. Um, but it's, uh, it's very interesting what you'll see. Tuesdays are a little bit different. Uh, Mondays we sell, we only sell on Monday and Tuesday. Monday, we don't sell any less than three head in a draft. Okay. And that's for efficiency purposes. And so singles, um, will sell on Tuesday followed by cows and bulls. And there was a, gosh, it's probably been three or four years ago. We had a, a huge Holstein steer. I, I think we ended up weighing like 16 or 1700 pounds. And mm-hmm. then someone had dropped off a Scottish Highlander. <laughs> so you, you just never know. Yeah. Uh, or a longhorn bull, you know, that's got the long curly yeah. Q horns. So <laughs> Tuesdays can be a little bit different. There's also some really great cattle that sell there on Tuesday, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty neat yeah. um, how it all works. And, um, but yeah, it, you certainly never know what's going to come through the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, when you talk about the volume of cattle you come through, I know certain times of the year, just as it is across the country and all the different sale barns, uh, is certainly uh, more intense, uh, higher volumes of cattle. I, um, I'm guessing, do you guys have the similar uh, higher volume of market more in, in the fall of the year? Is this much similar to the other sale barns? Or are you a bit more steady because of where you're at? That's an excellent question. Uh, of course, Mother Nature and markets are always going to have a little bit of a heavier mm-hmm. hand. But traditionally, we we do have what we call the fall run. And then we'll have the cattle coming off a of wheat pasture. Uh, you know, <clears throat> they try and get those off by the middle of March. So those are typically, uh, that would be our peak time. Okay. Uh, of course, this year has presented some extra challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in summer is generally pretty light, but it certainly hasn't. It hasn't been that, that has not been the case this year. Yeah. So, but traditionally it's, uh, we're about like any other barn, um, especially in this region, uh, until now <laughs> yeah yeah until this year and we'll and i want to talk about that in our next segment how you guys kind of work through this year before we head into our uh, break here real quick i I've, sometimes i kind of get my questions backwards because i probably should have had you introduce yourself a little bit before we started but how did you get into you're the president of the oklahoma national stockyards how did you get into this well, I, I joke that they drew straws and I got the short <laughs> one, but, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, my, my background is I, I grew up there on the yards. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate. Uh, my father had a commission company there. So, you know, as, as a kid, you grow up running on those bricks and you know, where every water tank is that needs cleaned and mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, I never dreamed I'd be where I am right now. And I, about, oh, 2018, I was asked to join the team as uh, what they called a liaison uh, to kind of start promoting the yards a little bit heavier. And, um, and then 
within the next year, they had named me the general manager. So, uh, and then shortly after that was president. So it's, it's very humbling to be in this position. My background, I'm a fifth generation Calcaf and stalker producer. Uh, very proud of that. Um, it runs deep in my DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm proud to represent other farmers and ranchers, you know, cattle producers, um, in, in this position, uh, I do spend quite a bit of time uh, with some, with ag uh, youth groups, um, Oklahoma State University. We, we do quite a bit of tours uh, talking about the stalker market, feeder market, and how do we keep these younger, this younger generation engaged to want to go on and do, do what we're doing today. Yeah. So um, we stay pretty busy. Uh, the yards is pretty hopping, uh, but the, I do a lot of outreach and marketing and sometimes do a little politicking so <laughs> just whatever whatever needs doing and i'm still known to clean a water tank from time to time <laughs> all right and pick up trash but it's, yeah. it's a neat job We're very very humble to be in this position you bet kelly payne she is the president of the oklahoma national stockyards is my guest today we're talking about that oklahoma national stockyards that was established in the early 1900s it is uh, the world's largest stalker and feeder cattle market when we come back we're going to talk about some of the issues that have affected that industry or them specifically especially down in the southern plains this year with drought and we see uh, a depletion of the cattle herd and through a lot of those sale barns is where that happened and of course in the in addition to that we've also got some higher input costs this year and we're just going to talk about some of the factors in the industry and how it's affecting the stockyard business as well when we come back here on the working ranch radio show is important to cattle producers from daily chores to parasite control just like protection is important to us based on approved labels valbison suspension covers 25 percent more parasites and life stages than safeguard visit getlessparasites.com for more solutions from zoetis consult your veterinarian for assistance in the diagnosis treatment and control of parasitism It's weaning time, one of the biggest days of the year for you and the most stressful for your calves. Ensure a smooth transition with the VitaCharge Weaning Program. This two-step program with the AmaFirm Advantage gives calves the nutritional boost they need to get through the first weeks of weaning, accelerate appetite, increase weight gain, and improve health. It's weaning time. Get them ready with VitaCharge. For more information, visit VitaFirm.com forward slash Vita dash charge. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Joining me today is Kelly Payne. She is president of the Oklahoma National Stockyards, and we're talking about that entity that was established in the early 1900s down there in Oklahoma City. And uh, it is the country's largest stalker feeder cattle market that's out there. And uh, and so, Kelly, I, again, we thank you for joining us. We were talking a little bit about the history of the stockyards uh, in the first segment. So, folks, if you missed that, go back and, and listen to that. I, I want to get into now more current situation that we're in. Of course, the country, especially in the South Central Plains, we've seen uh, drought down there the previous two years ahead of that. We were droughty up here in the Northern Plains. And so all of that combined, it was we see a, a pretty good sized depletion of our of our mama cows out there across the country. And so for you all this year, though, boy, you really, uh, the, the dry conditions there, you see a lot of cattle going through there. Absolutely. And it's, of course, you know, cattle auctions are, hey, volume is great, you know, but it's not great when you're looking long term and wondering where are these cattle going to come from next year mm-hmm. or the year after. We, 
we all know Mother Nature can't make a calf any faster than than what we do, and uh, so there, there's it's gravely concerning. Uh, as I mentioned in the first section, you know, I'm a cattle producer myself, and we've actually we we bought stalkers this year, and we've moved them and moved them and moved them, and we've got a barn full of hay, but it's it's painful. Mm-hmm to start thinking about feeding hay, you know, in July and August, but there's some producers that are certainly having to do it. Uh, I know some producers here in Oklahoma, uh, but personally that are, that have been hauling water. And we went through this back in 2010 and 11, and then again, kind of 13, 14, but we're kind of getting tired of being part of historical events. (laughs) So uh, there's a lot of challenges with it. And as you mentioned, these higher input costs, um, I want to be optimistic, but it's kind of tough right now. We're just grateful this market's got a little more strength to it than what we've seen in the past when we've been in these conditions. It's You mentioned earlier about the beautiful weather y'all are having there today. It's beautiful here, but it is certainly, certainly dry yeah. and no rain in the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. So it's I look for these uh, numbers to continue to clip up. Summertime, as I mentioned in the first segment, is usually a lighter run for us. We were closed the week of July 4th to observe the holiday. I believe it fell on a Monday. Um, the next week was kind of a typical run. And then the week after, when I say typical run, um, you'd have 60 to 70% of your cattle on a Monday that mm-hmm. are going to be feeder cattle. Mm-hmm. And that number has significantly dropped every week as far as a percentage goes. Uh, the ball and calves started coming in. Uh, two weeks after the 4th of July, hmm. and it has not stopped. Uh, we're probably running anywhere from a 1,000 to 3,000 head uh, a week more than a year ago, uh, which is, like I said, it's great. You want you want increased numbers, but look at long-term, it's, it's not very optimistic. Yeah. Well, and as you and I were talking a, a little bit <clears throat> before we, we got on air here, is it, it is kind of a weird situation, not just for you all in, in the Southern Plains, but I, I think it's we're we're in an interesting time here in our cattle market because we do see these calf prices higher this year than they were in the previous years and there's some forecasting that that appears as though we're going to continue to see that especially when you just simply take a supply and demand chart and put that against that the prices should be coming up it's a weird situation because we also see our input costs considerably higher too and and so for our industry as a whole and you all as the stockyards uh you find yourselves in this predicament of being kind of this middle spot for folks to to move through this to, to move through this market and so as you find yourself in this situation as you were saying a little bit ago we got to remain optimistic though Absolutely. And I certainly agree that uh, prices should be getting higher, just as you just plain old simple economics. What the concern that, uh, and, and you've mentioned this too, we're just, we're seeing more and more cows come to market. Thankfully, the cow market stayed pretty strong, which is unusual. Uh, but some of the cows we were seeing uh, are cows that were held, uh, that they went ahead and harvested a calf out of last year so at first we started seeing some of these cows okay well they should have gone last year but they didn't now we're starting to get into some of these younger cows i don't like to use the phrase the heart of the cow herd Mm -hmm. i'm going to be optimistic and say we're not there yet but if we if this drought continues you know a lot of us are in exceptional drought uh right now i think we're going to see some of that i know you all experienced it it's um before and my heart broke for you all when you were all going through it up there in the the north and northwest 
uh, and it's just slowly kind of trickled down here. So, um, yeah, we, we got, we eliminated a lot of our, personally, a lot of our cows, uh, toward the end of last year. Uh, but some folks are, when you're faced with these extreme situations, like we are right now, um, there's some very difficult decisions that have to be made. So I, I look for, as long as this is going to continue, I think we'll start seeing some younger cows come in. My concern is where, where do we go with them? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love to have a bunch of cows turned out at my own outfit, but I don't have any, I don't have anything growing here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, it's going to be tough to rebuild in a large swath of our country um, as we move forward over the next couple of years. Yeah. It, it's definitely going <clears> to <throat> be a, a long-term process in that rebuilding but again first and foremost it's going to have to start with some moisture that we hope will will happen when we look at some other f- elements within the market we've we're out of covid here now about a year or two or so uh we saw that af- how that kind of affected a demand for beef in in a way and in, in kind of some odd ways that i don't think everybody expected but then it, it, they also shed the light on the fact of the need for more rail space for our industry as well from your side of things uh, as, a, as a stockyards and you're hearing the expansion in our processing side of the industry, what's your thoughts on that? You know, I've got, I've got quite a few. <laughs> I know we don't have time for all of them. <laughs> so one of the things that I thought was fascinating about the COVID situation, the pandemic that we went through, you know, this portion, these auctions, livestock auctions, were deemed essential, mm-hmm. uh, and I was I'm very grateful for the folks that made sure that that happened. Uh, that that have a lot more power than than I do or any other auction manager uh, to make sure because they understood that we were a critical spoke in the wheel for the supply chain. Uh, so that was really important. These you know producers have we got bills to pay, even though the market wasn't wasn't very whoopy at all. Yeah, In fact, yeah. it wasn't worth a darn. Um, but they had a place to go and, and sell some calves if they needed to pay something at the co-op or a vet bill, et cetera, especially for our smaller producers. Um, one of the things that was interesting, though, going back to kind of our history, you know, with, when we were a terminal market, one of those original terminal markets, there were packing plants everywhere. Of yeah. course, Urban Sprawl pushed all those out. But whenever folks started seeing blank spaces in the meat case, the phones lit up in our office. Hey, do you still have a packing plant back there? <laughs> oh, really? Really? Um, yeah, it was really incredible. And so, but we have shot, it, there has been a light shined on, on the, we are a just-in-time processor. You know, fo- folks want it when they want it. And it's, we were able in Oklahoma, I think they set aside $10 million for expansion of some of these smaller uh, lockers and processing plants. Uh, had a lot of folks apply for the money, or and uh, and they had a very short window of opportunity to do it. But we've been able to bring a few plants back online here in Oklahoma. Of course, nothing like a like what you see, yeah. um, you know, out in the Texas Panhandle or or um, up there in Kansas. But we've been able to to increase our footprint there. And then I know some producers that have just started. They may be that they've got a cow herd of thirty, but they're going to go ahead and process a couple of calves a year and they've done a branded beef program so they're able to put a few more dollars in their pocket we certainly could use more shackle space i don't think we can build them quick enough Mm -hmm. yeah you know and i I gotta think that your location too uh, definitely is a bit closer than some of the folks in the in the northern part of the country you know they're talking about a new plant in eastern nebraska and some different places as well that's that's got to be helpful i would think to you all 
Oh, yes. The buying power in our barn is, is fantastic, uh, whether it's on the stalker and feeder side or even on the um, cow and bull. And, and we typically will sell more um, packer type cows and bulls mm-hmm. than, than replacement uh, in a traditional year yeah. uh, by, by loads of them. Um, but if they're not having to truck them as far, I think that does help it. You know, they're always factoring in freight and especially mm-hmm. now, um, can they give more for these cows if we've got a closer plant? So it would certainly be, I would welcome a plant that would be yeah. a little bit closer. Yeah. So you've got one more person in the barn raising their hand. Yeah, for sure. Well, and like you said, especially with the majority of your cattle being, a, a you know, being a terminal type a situation that's definitely would be useful so my guest today kelly payne she is president of the oklahoma national stockyards we're talking about that uh, entity in oklahoma city it was where it's located of course uh, and uh, one of the world's largest stalker feeder cattle markets out there when we come back we're going to continue our conversation with kelly as we talk about uh, more of their business that takes place there at the oklahoma national stockyards we'll be back on the working ranch radio show It's a competitive calf market, and buyers want calves that will perform, period. And a proven solution is Simmental. In fact, data from the Tri-County Steer Carcass Fatirity from 2002 through 2018 on nearly 60,000 head of calves revealed that Simmental sired calves represented the highest carcass-valued sire group over English and other continental breed groups. And the sire group that was the second highest carcass value was Simangus sire. So... The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We're talking about the Oklahoma National Stockyards today. And joining me is their president, Miss Kelly Payne. And uh, Kelly, the first segment for folks that uh, didn't, uh, if you're just tuning in now, we were talking about the history of that organization as it was established early on in the early 1900s in Oklahoma City. And uh, in this last segment, uh, talking a little bit about uh, this last year and the business there that's taking place with the different elements that have affected it from drought to the economy and various things. And uh, as we head into our, our last segment here and, and kind of wrapping up things, I the next question I'm going to ask you will be about uh, some advice you'd offer to, to ranchers out there in, in regards to bringing cattle to the sale barn. But before we get to that, let's back up one more step and say, you know, there are a lot of issues that have our hot button issues out there for us in the ranching industry that many of our associations that a lot of us are members of of are working on and one of the things that you are a strong proponent of is getting involved in your local associations and and then also you know getting a relationship with your elected officials so that you can let them know what's you know from your perspective how this stuff is affecting you and you feel that's extremely important i do and and thank you for that the uh like you said i am a very strong uh strong opinion that you know get involved stay involved uh, a lot of times, and I wasn't always this way. I, you know, we work and work and work, and uh, we don't. If the phone rings, we, half the time we, we're doing something else, and we don't answer it. Uh, but I do think it's important now more than ever to to be a member of a whether it's a local organiz, a local cattlemen's association, or your state cattlemen's association, even something on the federal side. And and I don't even I, I'm not going to pick and choose for anybody which one they should join, but. Uh, 
or even just a, a just a straight across the board agriculture uh, organization, those folks, while we're out here working day in and day out and, and can't take our phone calls, are are working for us uh, on national whether it's national issues or, or even for our states. Um, agriculture, we, we're more people are more and more removed. I meet folks now that are three and four and five generations removed from agriculture, and you you always hear the mantra: tell your story, tell your story, tell your story. Some folks aren't comfortable with that, but these associations will do it for you. I can't certainly, I don't have time to go to Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., and they'd probably kick me out the <laughs> second I made it up there, but I, I certainly don't mind somebody carrying the water for me there. We have a uh, our Cattlemen's Association here in Oklahoma. Uh, when we've been through like some board member training or membership training, one of the things I find really interesting with our state elected officials, if there's legislation that's put out there on the table you know, folks will call, oh, hey, say it's a tax issue. So um, say Jim Smith calls and has his legislator and he says, I don't, I really want you to vote no on this. Okay, sounds good. Well, the second time that phone rings, they go, wait a minute, I'm going to look at this. The third time, you can generally change their mind. And when I heard that, I thought that's got to be impossible. But that just shows how three people can change a legislator's mind. Mm-hmm. Um where they'll really pay attention and it blows my mind that it's just that simple one of the reasons i really got involved with politics is because of the nature of our stockyards we are right there in the middle of a very large city Mm -hmm. uh close to downtown within two miles of the crow flies and so the local uh makeup is uh i I needed to get to know our elected officials there in oklahoma city and they've been wonderful to work with they understand the economic impact and the economic engine that 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 stockyard is but whether it's Oklahoma City or in Beaver, Oklahoma, you know, small town western Oklahoma, the challenges with these markets are the same and the challenges with agriculture is the same straight across the board. So mm-hmm. I encourage folks to pick up the phone, take five minutes, meet your legislator or, or city council person and uh, tell them that you're the expert in that field. <laughs> Don't let them pass anything that hurt us. <laughs> in regards to some of the political issues that we were talking about and, and that element that you have to play um just due to the nature of a stockyard business where you kind of are what you'd consider in a lot of ways the middleman between the producer and then that next element that they're going to go to how do you it's got to be delicate in how you deal with that position because i'm sure you see this side of it a certain side of it and then at the same time as you rep a lot of different producers out there you understand their side so how do you handle that delicate uh, relationship as a middleman well to be quite honest uh i pray <laughs> that, <laughs> that god will guard my mouth a lot of times <laughs> because i certainly I, I will voraciously defend uh our our industry you know because i'm a producer myself but i have to you have to understand that I, i'm fond of the phrase we don't know what people don't know what they don't know i don't know the first thing about being a mechanic so i trust my mechanic uh I'm not going to go rifling through his wrenches, but um, a lot of times elected officials, uh, they don't understand. So um, breaking things down in simpler terms, invite them out to your place. We do a legislative uh, uh, visit there at the stockyards a few times a year. Uh, I have a couple of them coming up. We've had legislators come out to our farm. You know, let, invite them in. Let them see how it all works. So once they've seen it, they, they all certainly enjoy a steak but they may not know how it gets to that point. So it's just having a little bit of decorum and holding some hands, but 
there's things that I have to learn too that they could probably show me but mm-hmm. <laughs> as yeah. well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one of the things when we had, when I first talked to you, I said, you know, um, I, I want to ask you this question and that is if there were a few things, well, I don't know how many of those things, maybe one, two, three things that you could tell uh, a rancher, say, hey, if these are, these are things I would suggest you do when you're bringing cattle to the sale barn. I, I know we're kind of jumping, kind of switching tracks here on subjects and directions we went, but, but uh, from, from your perspective, just as you were saying, uh, we don't know what we don't know. And so if, so from your perspective as being part of that sale barn industry and stockyards industry, if you could offer some suggestions to ranchers when they market their cattle or they're bringing their cattle, what would a few of those things be? That's a great question. I, I certainly don't ever want to tell somebody that I know about their their business better than, than they do, but some of the things in a typical year uh, that we have seen put more dollars in a producer's pocket is the weaning. And I remember when 30 days was a big thing and then 45 was the new 30 and now 60 is the new 45. <laughs> uh, and yeah. if you can do that, fabulous. Uh, the produ- or the buyers, obviously, they, a lot of those buyers are, are really looking for that. They want to make sure that they've kind of got a guarantee already that these cattle are going to go on to the next place. Uh, and perform, whether that's uh, calves that have already kind of been backgrounded uh, or feeder cattle uh, going into a yard, especially a yard that may be 10 or 12 hours from here. Um, they, they want that guarantee. We also understand, though, that uh, market dictates a lot of things, as does Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned in, in the other segment, you know, a lot of ball and calves are moving right now. Uh, back in the last drought, we were pulling calves right off the cow weighing 300, 350 pounds, uh, because sometimes you just have to do it. Uh, fires happen, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's very unfortunate. But the big, that's one thing, you know, kind of know your, watch these markets and see what's going to put additional dollars in your pocket. Probably the biggest thing, and, and I've, I've been fortunate as long as I've been in this industry to, uh, to get to know sale barn managers and owners all across the United States. And I sat on the panel of, oh, a month or two ago with, with some outstanding uh, gentlemen. In fact, one of them um, from up in y'all's country, uh, Mr. Campbell mm-hmm. from Colorado. And we all said that this was a similar question that was asked. The biggest thing is get to know the person that's marketing your cattle, whether you're putting them out on video, if you're selling private treaty, you know, you've got someone that's working the country and they're going to put them right into the feed yard for you uh, and negotiate that deal or your auction manager. Uh, or commission firm in our case, uh, commission firm owner or manager, if get that relationship built. It, it, we all have relationships with, with bankers and lawyers and different things like that, but I, I don't think we think about the value. That person is working for you. They are representing your cattle, and the more information they have to say, well, these are you know, this is a certain kind of genetics mm-hmm. that – that, that Justin's using or their bunk broke, they're 90 days weaned, they're all natural, mm-hmm. uh, whatever the case may be, those, those folks are put in place to work for you. And the more information they have, the better they can market those, uh, that, that calf crop for you or yearling crop for you, uh, whether it's in the barn or on the video. So that's probably the number one 
consensus that for four people on this panel that don't yeah. generally get along, that was the number one thing we, we certainly all agreed on. Well, that's, that's pretty good then. Everybody's got I a, thought it was fabulous. Yeah. Well, Kelly, I sure appreciate you joining us. Before we head out here today, I guess any final comments from you uh, just about your industry and, and about where we're at here in our markets? You know, it's and I appreciate being able to kind of close it out Sometimes it's hard to be optimistic, uh, especially, you know, standing out here looking at stickers and dirt uh, here in Oklahoma. But we come from many, many generations in this industry, or maybe there's even some first-time folks getting into the cattle business. One of the things that has always impressed me is the resiliency of of livestock producers. Um, There's challenges everywhere you look, especially now. Um, We've been through through some of this stuff before. It will rain. (laughs) Better days are ahead. And so I just tip my hat to everybody that's trying to to keep things going and digging their heels in. Um, It's very humbling to be a part of this industry that feeds the world. You bet. Well, Kelly, I want to thank you for joining us, giving us a little history on the Oklahoma National Stockyards and what a what an amazing facility and still to hear as it's being run today as it was years ago. Uh, one of the only ones in the country, really, that does it like that. And so appreciate the history on that and your take on the industry as well. And appreciate you joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Absolutely. I appreciate your consideration and thanks so much. Come see us. You bet. And again, my guest today has been Kelly Payne. She is president of the Oklahoma National Stockyards, the world's largest stalker and feeder cattle market. As we heard today from her a little bit about the history of that franchise uh, established back in 1910, it was. And uh, of course, a lot of the old stockyards, as she said years ago, as she was explaining to us, built and very similar to those locations was also packing facilities there in, in Oklahoma City. It was Morris Wilson Armor that all established packing facilities facilities right there close to the stockyards and was a major economic boost to that the uh, Oklahoma City as it was getting established and still today it is as many really to be honest with you many of the sale barns that we see across the country are economic drivers for the communities and the regions that they sit in so again I do want to thank Kelly Payne for joining us here today if you want like to find out more about the Oklahoma National Stockyards you can go to their website and a lot of information there there's also ways to get a hold of them oknationalstockyards.com again it's oknationalstockyards.com is the website to find out more well stay with us coming up next meteorologist don day joins us as we take a look at our long-term weather going to give us an indication of when the cold weather will arrive we'll talk about it when we come back on the working ranch radio show Set up the next generation for a productive lifetime with Zinpro Avela 4. Achieve productive success in your cows with 20% increased conception rate and a 16-day tighter calving interval. Calves from cows supplemented with Zinpro hit the ground running with improved immunity and 28 more pounds at weaning. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zinpro Avela 4. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills here with you as we're joined now by meteorologist Don Day as we take a look at our long-term weather. And uh, maybe just a really recap quickly here and looking back on the hurricanes. Of course, uh, the first one to hit was Fiona that we talked about last week that hit up off of Nova Scotia. But boy, devastating down in Florida with Ian. Yeah, I tell you, that was a kind of a worst-case scenario for southwest Florida 
not only a very large and a very intense hurricane, but uh, coming in at near high tide and coming in at a certain angle to push a lot of water. I mean, when you have a storm surge of 12 to 18 feet, which it looks like we had with Ian, just imagine the volume of water that's getting pushed into those coastal areas that are just a few feet to 10 feet above sea level. And I think um, Ian is going to be known certainly for its wind damage, but also for its water damage as it slices its way through Florida and now, you know, it's uh, remains over the southeast and east central areas of the state causing more flooding. So uh, Ian is going to be uh, hanging around for just a little bit longer. You bet. So let's let's talk about what's coming up, because uh, besides the hurricanes that we've seen, that's been very eventful when it comes to weather, where a lot of the focus has been. If we look west of that in the, in the country, it really hasn't had uh, there hasn't been a lot of activity. And it's a little and I'm going to say it's been a bit out of the norm because uh, right here we haven't really. Well, we haven't seen a freeze and there hasn't really been any insignificant, any significant hard freeze so far. And we're in October. Yeah, there has not been what I would call a widespread hard freeze uh, really anywhere. Now, there's been pockets of freezing temperatures, but those are the usual isolated microclimate areas. Uh, But we are going to go, here we are into early October, uh, and we've already, in some parts of the nation, gone past the average first frost freeze date. Mm -hmm. Now, you might be wondering, well, what's going on? Well, the way the pattern has evolved this, this fall is that it's been warm for a lot of North America. So where is the cold air? Well, if you were to go completely on the opposite side of the Northern Hemisphere, it's been cold and at times snowy over portions of Siberia, uh, the Northern parts of Asia, the Tibetan Plateau, you get up into Mongolia. There's been a large area of cold air and snowy weather there for the last couple of weeks. So things are kind of stuck. The cold is where the cold is and the warm is where the warm is. Mm -hmm. But we do start to see some changes to where that cold air on the other side of the globe will work its way slowly eastward and eventually end up in Northeast Asia, parts of the North Pacific, probably in a couple of weeks. And what that will do is that'll set the stage for something to come into the lower 48 states and parts of Canada to bring that first real salvo Mm -hmm. uh, of colder air. But for as many warm falls like this we've had, uh, we can count as many uh, on the other side of the ledger where you had a strong September, early October cold front and put that into the growing season. But I tell you, the the Northern Plains needed, the, the Dakotas especially, for some of their crops to get finished, they needed an extended summer and a warm start to fall, and they got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've also had really favorable weather in the Corn Belt uh, for the beginning of harvest operations in some areas. So uh, we have certainly benefited in many ways from this warm start to fall. Mm -hmm. So is this cold air looking like maybe another 10 to 14 days out there? As we were talking before we went on air here, I said I have an event marked for October 18th as the next weather event for us here. And it kind of coincides with maybe a little bit of what you're talking about uh, of a cold spell. As that cold moves in, what kind of moisture do you think it could bring? Or do you really have any indication of what that would look like? Usually the first big salvo of cold is wet. Uh, because you're 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 squeezing out a, a warmer air mass, you're squeezing out that higher water vapor that's naturally in the warmer air. So that first front can be a wet one, and that that means rain and snow. So I would expect that. Now, uh, whether or not it's a cold that holds, usually October fronts 
come in when they come in they're somewhat transitory meaning you have what a lot of people like to call indian summer which is that nice stretch of weather after a hard freeze um and we'll probably see that but i do certainly see the middle of october into the first week of november offering up the first real cold of the season all right well as we were talking earlier too here in a couple weeks we'll schedule a full show where we can talk about our long-term weather does that sound good for you Let's plan on. Okay. All right. Don Day, uh, thanks again for joining us here with that weather outlook. Thanks for having me. And again, that is meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. His website can be found at dayweather.com. I uh, remind you this, that uh, you can go there if you're interested in in a purchase of a weather station or other different weather information as well. You can find that on his website or also his daily video podcast. There's a link to that that he kicks out every Monday through Friday morning. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we'll put a wrap on this week's show when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. Hey, in light of today's show, talking about the Oklahoma National Stockyards, you know what else it made me think of was the food. Yeah, you know, you're there all day uh, and about noontime, you've been uh, there hustling around all morning to get to the sale and about one o'clock, you are hungry and there's nothing better than a hot roast beef sandwich or a hamburger and fries from the Sale Barn Cafe or maybe you stop in for breakfast. Yeah, I used to do that when I lived in Billings and I'll tell you what, if you want to see the folks that make the decisions in the beef industry, the cattle industry, in your community, well, there's one place to stop. That's at the Sale Barn Cafe. I do want to thank Kelly Payne, president of the Oklahoma National Stockyards, for joining us here on our program today. A quick thank you to our sponsors as well. It's weaning time, so for protection and recovery, thank Vita Charge by Biozyme. And Zoetis, visit InheritProgress.com to request a call with a rep and ask about free TSUs. And speaking of Zoetis, if you're thinking parasite control, your herd can be covered. To find out more, visit Get Less Parasites com for solutions from Zoetis and the American Simmental Association. It's profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org and Zenpro Avela 4. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zenpro Avela 4. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. If you'd like to get a hold of me, send me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.